Hey, cool cats. I'm Maggie Fedorov, and you are listening to episode six of Totally Fucking Normal, where today I'm joined by Shane Isaacowski from Los Angeles, California, to talk about the many sacrifices that creatives make for the sake of their art. I want to start you off with a little life update. Um, you probably noticed that we went like a whole ass month without having a podcast episode. Um, the reason for that is that my husband was in the hospital twice <laughs> over the holidays um, and had surgery for the second time in a year. It's been a hectic, crazy time. So I just think it's so fitting that we are talking to Shane today about this topic specifically. And my hope is that by the time we get to the end of the episode, you'll understand why it's so pertinent, um, especially given the circumstances going on in my fucking life right now. <laughs> anyway, a little bit of an intro on Shane and who he is as a creative and as a person. Um, Shane is honestly a modern renaissance man in the truest sense of the phrase. Shane is an oil painter, a sculptor, he does special effects, costuming, he's a filmmaker and producer, he's a photographer, a musician, an events manager, an art handler, um, he's a podcast producer, he does the Drawing From Experience podcast. If you haven't listened, go check it out, it's phenomenal, and so much more. Shane took a huge leap of faith moving across the country from Pennsylvania to California a couple years back in pursuit of his wildest creative dreams. So I really wanted to pick his brain about how he knew that he was ready and what it took to make that happen for him. So without further ado, let's see what Shane has to say about his journey. First and foremost, thank you for being here with me. That's super oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> of course. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm always happy yeah. to have you. So, um, my first question for you is, can you tell me about some of the early moments in your career as an artist slash creative that contributed in like however small a way to where you are now? Oh, so we're getting right into it. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Right into my childhood. Um, A lot of early moments were actually very discouraging, you know, but in some ways that set me up for like a kind of like fuck you sort of attitude about like what kind of art I was doing. And the kind of art I was doing was because, you know, in a lot of ways, it was related to the religion I grew up in, which was Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing a lot of like devils and demons. And also I was I was reading a lot of comic books and like horror comics. So it was always just scary stuff. And so my teachers would always like question, this was like sixth, seventh grade mm -hmm. when I started drawing. And they, they were questioning why I was doing that kind of artwork. And um, I'm just like, uh, because you've been um, shoving, you know, <laughs> fire and brimstone down my throat since I was in kindergarten. So it probably has something to do with that, you know, and now you're going to reprimand me for doing that kind of artwork. Like it was very discouraging as a child. But as I got older, I started not caring as much. And to an extent, you know, because even later in high school, I was getting sort of the same feedback from my art teacher there mm -hmm. and um in certain ways for my parents as well but they were mostly supportive but their whole thing was like they were worried for my future like they okay. they didn't want me to be doing things that weren't like palatable for a wider audience so they were like maybe you should like draw these like chickens or something or like something <laughs> like animals and and then like later you can go home and you know draw this other stuff so like in some ways i took some of that advice but you know i think that 
having that upbringing and having that having people like have that kind of reaction specifically adults um to my artwork i think kind of set me up for ultimately having like developing a thick skin to having like rejection later on you know because by the time i'm i'm an adult and i'm showing my artwork and somebody's not happy with my art i'm like well uh fuck you, <laughs> you <know>? so <laughs> yeah it's yeah yeah. Well, and how important is that, too, as an artist to be able to accept that some people just are never going to like your work? Oh, my God. It's totally it's the sooner you get to that place, the better your work is never going to be for everyone. I mean, it's like you are not going to be for everyone, mm -hmm. you know, like. So I was having this conversation recently where somebody that I know, you know, they're like in this place where. They want everyone to like them. I like at one time was in that same place. I know exactly how that feels. I walk into a room and I'm just like, yeah, I want everyone to like me. And what are you doing? Yeah, I want to get to know you and blah, blah, blah. And I just want to walk away feeling like good. But I think as you start growing as a human, you start realizing that no matter how much you want everyone to like you, it's not going to happen. And it's the same thing with your artwork. You could you could do stuff that by and large is like the most palatable artwork, the most widely liked artwork in the entire world. But what is what does that art look like? What are we even talking about? You know, think about it. What's a bright sunny day landscape? Like I don't fucking like landscapes. You know, Me so either. sorry I'm, I'm so cursing glad. so much. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, so like I'm, you know, but there's certain kinds I do. I don't know. Like, what does that actually, if you really think about it, whoever's listening right now, what is the piece of artwork that you think everyone in the entire world is going to like? It's impossible, you know, but that's kind of the beauty of art is like, it's about how you connect to it. Then, you know, in turn to the artist who made it, you know, so I just, I kind of feel like screw it. It's you might as well just be doing the thing that you like doing anyway, because you're going to have haters regardless. I love that so much. That's something that like for myself, like I'm a relatively new artist as far as like visual arts go. And so that's, I think, something that I've really tried to hold on to from the very beginning is like, especially at first when I didn't know like what what's my purpose in making visual art? Like, am I making it just to make it? Am I making it because I want to go career? Like, I don't. And I went through a phase of like trying to figure that out. But I through all of it, I was like, I kind of just don't give a shit what people think about my art. And I'm so glad that I started with that and that I didn't start out more vulnerable than I did because I feel like mm. I probably wouldn't have made it to where I am now. Mm. So yeah, no, that's such a good point. But um, so I guess my next question for you then is like when you were experiencing this like tough feedback and stuff and it was kind of shaping you as an artist in your earlier years, what did the stepping stones of like building up that skin feel like? And how did you know if like a particular event or experience had become an important part of this journey for you? I don't think I knew at the time. You know, I, I've always just been guided by what I want to do. And so mm -hmm. that has hindered and helped me. So what those stepping stones look like at the time was failure, giving up completely on art. I mean, to be quite honest, I'm in a weird place with my artwork right now. Like, I don't know. I think you and I have chatted about that, but I'm in this place where like I have wiped all of my deadlines for the year away. I just had my like a recent show at The Hive in L.A. open and that's it. And like I've made sure that I'm not like booking anything else for the rest of the year for the most part. Like I'm doing like 
convention shows, like vendoring at um, different things. But like I am at a weird place that I feel like in the future, when I look back on, I am going to remember this as like one of those stepping stones, like, but I'm in it right now. And as an older person now, I can actually be in it and realize that I'm in it. Where as a kid, I was just doing what I wanted to do, you know? So at the time in high school, when I was being discouraged from my art teacher and my parents, I said, all right, then I'm going to quit. So then like me being known as an art kid in the school, I had to like kind of redefine who I was creatively and as an individual. So that's when I started getting into uh, making music and um, I got into a band and I screamed a lot into a microphone. <laughs> so like, and then there were moments of that, that I was like, yeah, maybe like, maybe I'm meant to be doing something like this. You know, and so like, that's how I've guided all of these things in my life, you know, and then from there, other stepping stones were getting thrown out of that band and then second guessing if that's actually for me either, you know, and then kind of discovering music on my own in a different way because I didn't have these people to kind of like lean on and then discovering photography and special effects makeup and all of those different things in my life, which ultimately led me back to painting and drawing. So it's a really weird path, you know, and I always look back on those moments in my life and I realize I took little bits and pieces from each of those things. And now I put all of that into the paintings that I make. So like the, the special effects and makeup, doing makeup on people, doing costuming on people, doing the lighting uh, from photography, from my photographic background, directing them with some of my uh, movie making background and then painting. You know, and then so the at the end of the day, there the final product is a painting instead of like a photograph or cool costume or or a film. You know, so so I think those were all stepping stones. And like like I said, like when you're younger, I think it's hard to realize that you're in it. Like you're as a child, you don't really. I, at least I wasn't. I didn't like ponder about like long term what this means for my life overall. You know, you just sort of you're generally like angsty and upset about things. <laughs> so that's kind of how I was, you know. So it's I don't know. I feel like it's been a very, very long journey. And I feel like I've gone through and lived like a lot of different lives by this point. Well, and I feel like that's kind of a thing, too. Like you were saying, when you were younger, like you didn't really realize you were in it and like when something would happen it wasn't like until later that you would realize like oh that was kind of important like that contributed yeah. i've had the same experiences like and i think that the um just kind of the what do i want to call that like the shroud of naivety mm. almost um for me it kind of only just recently started lifting in the last like i would say two years and so then something oh, will happen okay. and i'm like oh shit this feels kind of big you know like right. i don't know how it's going to play out yet but this is important i know it i actually don't think that all of that is naive. Like, I feel like it's some of it is meant to be experienced in the way that it's experienced. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's, it's a surprise and you can't tell until the other side of it, you know, like think about relationships. You're going through this very intense relationship and you like a year later after you've broken up or something, you reflect back on this one thing and you're like, holy shit, like. I really, I actually learned a lot from that one moment, you know, and you don't realize that till like a year later, sometimes more. Yeah. So I, I, I don't necessarily think that you're able to be reflective on something that is happening in the now, 
you know, because sometimes you're just experiencing it and it's just happening around you. Absolutely. Well, and you know, they always say like hindsight is twenty twenty. So, you yeah. know, y- it'll make sense when you're on the other side of it. Yeah. I wish I realized at every moment I was learning a lesson that I was actually learning a lesson. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be fucking amazing? God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I'm meant to learn this right now. How fantastic. Right. What an opportunity. <laughs> what do you know? Okay. So here's kind of a big question I have for you. How did you know that you had reached the point in your life where it was time for you to take a big leap of faith and move from Pennsylvania to California? Yeah, that is a big question. Um, There's a lot of things. A lot of things happened. I was realizing that I was kind of changing as a person. I was in a very small town. I had run these projects there. I, I ran this art gallery for two years, and then that turned into this giant mural project. And you kind of know when it's time to move on, you kind of know. I went through like a lot of heartache there and butting heads with people. And I was like a total hothead at the time. So I was a lot of times it was my fault. And so through that whole experience talking about like, you know, hindsight and stuff, I've reflected a lot on those years and come to terms with like how I was essentially, you know, and to a certain extent at the time, I felt like I did all I could in that town and I needed to I needed to like explore what I could do for myself and running that art gallery was really cool and running that mural project was great but it was essentially for everyone else and like I have these moments where I am looking at everything that I'm doing and I'm realizing that I'm literally not doing anything for myself you know so like I don't know how much more drastic you can be than moving across the country to discover more about yourself. I've never done anything in a small way. I'm always just like, what's the craziest thing I could do? What's the riskiest thing? Why don't I just do that? I mean, that sounds <laughs> that sounds great. It sounds normal. So that's what I did, you know, despite a lot of people saying San Francisco is the most expensive city in the world. And, you know, it's hard for artists out there and all these things. And like, I just didn't care. I just, I set my sights and decided that's what I wanted to do. And the reasons that I chose San Francisco was I always had this like connection to San Francisco because my mom was actually born there. She wasn't raised there, but she was born there, lived like maybe a year or so there, and then moved to New Jersey. San Francisco, we had visited when I was younger, and it was always kind of like this magical place, you know, that had seafood. And yeah, I always remember Fisherman's Wharf. And then when I moved there, I started working on Fisherman's Wharf, which was pretty cool. I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of knew as far as like being ready to make a big leap of faith like that. I don't know. I don't think you ever really know. You know, and like I had been talking about it for a while before we actually left Mm -hmm. to the point where like people around me, I think were getting tired of listening (laughs) to me talk about it. And they were just like, dude, if you're going to go, you need to go, you know. So, yeah. So that's yeah, that's what I did. And ultimately, I'm glad I did. It really broadened my perspective on life and the art scene and everything. And I learned a lot since moving to LA um, from San Francisco. I've also learned a lot since then too. So I've only been here for about a little over two years and I'm still trying to figure it out. So when you moved to California, what kind of planning did you go through? Like as far as place to stay or like connections or like Mm. how you were going to make money 
Oh man, we had so little money between me and my partner at the time. She and I saved up like, I don't know, three grand or something like that. It was like the tiniest little bit of money. I don't need, honestly, like, I don't think I would take that kind of risk now. And like, I look back on that, I'm like, how did we even do that? I have no idea. So what had happened was I was answering all of these Craigslist ads for apartments. And I was just trying to be as like real as possible. I'm like, I'm from Pennsylvania. I promise you I'm moving to San Francisco. I need to come take a look at this apartment. I heard back from one person out of like a ton that I reached out to. And it was in Walnut Creek, which is not San Francisco. It's very different than San Francisco. It's outside of San Francisco. Ultimately, we had had an appointment to meet this woman for this apartment, but we didn't have any place to stay, you know, and then Two days before we got to San Francisco, a friend of mine who also moved from Pennsylvania called me and was like, I saw that you're on your way to the Bay Area. Uh, we just moved into this house in Oakland. We have one room that you and your partner can stay until you get on your feet, you know? So like, yeah, it was just like one of those cosmic things. Yeah, like that literally like the stars happening. aligned for you. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up staying there going to check out the apartment. We took the apartment. It was like an in-law situation. So it was, it was a bedroom in a house mm -hmm. and we lived like with this family, which was super weird too. Like it was not the best situation. And Walnut Creek is like, after the first week of being there, I looked around and I was like, I don't think we belong here. Oh, <laughs> like no. it was, it was like mothers pushing around strollers and like outlet malls and stuff like that. So it was not, it was mm -hmm. not our vibe. That's not what we were looking for, you know? So we got into San Francisco as quickly as possible after that. And um, as far as plans were concerned, our plan was each to get a job as quickly as we could, just so we wouldn't waste any more time. Sonia ended up getting a job first. I was a little bit more selective because I wanted an art job of some kind, you know, and that's... Um, that's how I found myself at Fisherman's Wharf and working at the San Francisco Dungeon, which is like a live theatrical dark history of San Francisco. And uh, I was essentially like their stage manager. I did uh, props, costumes, makeup and sets, you know, and they paid me garbage like it was it was part time and it was so poorly paid, but it was something. And that's, you know, that's how we got by for a while. And then I got a uh, promotion because Madame Tussauds was connected to it. They're owned by the same company. So I got a promotion onto the Madame Tussauds side um, and started working as the lead artist over there. I had no idea, honestly, what I was doing, but I was always good at just like networking and making connections and talking my way into places. And, um, and it worked, you know, I didn't go to art school or anything. And the people that I worked with that were my subordinates did go to art school. So there was a lot of that kind of dynamic going on. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't great, but it was because I was just like this outwardly like um, proactive person. So that's how I was able to get that position. But I eventually learned and actually that job, I do contribute that to a lot of my learning with oil painting, you know, because I, I ended up learning color mixing there and, um, and like realistic skin texture. And I was getting really frustrated at work because I would try to be painting these wax figures the way that they wanted me to. And I'm a horrible student. So anytime anybody tells me they need me to do it a certain way, I'm like, but is there a better way? Can I do it a different way? Is there something more efficient? You know, I'm always looking for other ways than what they're telling me to do. So I was really frustrated at work. And then I would go home 
and paint and, or I'd go to my studio and paint. And so that's, you know, I was really like working on my art career at the time and getting into art shows, meeting more people around San Francisco, volunteering for things, volunteering for art events. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's pretty much when my art started taking a turn into what it's become now, you know, and really just working on my technique with oil painting. You kind of touched on this already too, but I'll ask the question anyway and just see if there's anything you want to add. Um, what kind of barriers and emotions did you have to challenge or work through in order to make that big leap of faith and like to do these things and get yourself to California and like make the connections and, you know, find the work and all that stuff? It was a challenge in that I knew it was going to be a major difference. I don't know if I didn't like think about it or I tried not to think about it, you know, because like thinking about it is stressful. But if I could just sit down and like make a plan and mm -hmm. do all the things, check all the boxes of all the things I'm doing, it's a little less scary. And honestly, I don't feel like I was afraid. Like I didn't have a lot of fear and this isn't like a humble brag or like I was totally fearless. Like, you know, it wasn't like that. It was, it was more just like I was at a point where I could take those kinds of risks. And like, what choice do you have? If you make that leap, what are you going to do? You're going to fail. You know, like, I'm not going to fail. I'm I'm driving 3000 miles across the country. I'm going to make this work no matter what, you know? So there was no failing. It was just like, I've had failures along the way, of course, but like overall, like what is my failure? My failure would be to return back to Pennsylvania to be closer to my mom. That's not horrible. It's not the worst thing in the world. You know, if I came back to Pennsylvania, am I going to have bullies outside being like, ha, you failed. You were supposed to be living across the country and now you suck. You know, like, I, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I, I think people maybe put too much pressure on themselves to have like an expectation of what success looks like. I have no idea what success looks like anymore. You know, like I kind of take it day by day and honestly, Day to day is like today I can meet one person that changes my entire trajectory of my entire career and my life. No idea. I have no idea if that's going to happen. So like, I don't know. I think back then I thought about being a, a more well-known artist and what that kind of, you know, being more well-known would bring me into in the art world. You know, nowadays, I think I care a lot less about that. Like I kind of like just the idea of getting my hands into different projects, you know, so like not even necessarily just my art, we're talking about like all different kinds of stuff. So I think my priorities have have shifted uh, in many different ways since then. And I was a very emotional person. I, I still am, of course, but um, I think nowadays I am a lot better at managing my emotions. Back then, I would I just had outbursts after outbursts. So um, nowadays, I'm a lot more controlled, I guess. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I had the entire gamut of emotions back then that I went through. Um, but mostly, I think I just experienced a lot of stress. You know, stress had a certain kind of effect on me where it would, there would be like a physical manifestation in my body. So I would like lose some hair or I got hives one time from stress, like all these different things like physically that stress does to you. And um, that didn't actually start manifesting into actual serious anxiety until like at the beginning of 2020. During the pandemic, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and um, 
that anxiety has now since turned into a different thing and has actually manifested itself more into like depression for me. I've been talking very like openly on my on my social media about this experience I'm going through, being on different antidepressants and anxiety medication. I just got put on Adderall for ADHD. I mean, I finally got them to admit that I have ADHD. So yeah, so that whole thing has been a journey. And uh, so now, as far as emotions go, I'm trying to like acknowledge which emotions are coming up at the times that they're coming up and either let them pass or, you know, just try not to freak out is essentially what I'm trying to do nowadays, you know, because it's really easy to freak out when you're feeling inside like really anxious or something, you know, and I'm just trying not to do that anymore. Yeah, that's it's a whole demon, right? Trying to figure out how to live with your emotions. I, I think that, you know, and maybe it's just like me and the people I hang out with are like such like emotionally based people but I feel like that's a lot of people or most people you know even if they swallow it or don't talk about it you know people are intrinsically just very emotional and we have to find a way to live with that and mm. so you know that's at least half if not more of the struggle I think and so you know I've yeah. always really appreciated how candid you are about you know, sharing the struggles that you go through and stuff, because I think that, it, you know, it's talking about it is important and sharing our experiences with other people. And, you know, yeah. that way people know that they're not alone in their experiences, you know, that for me, that yeah. was always something that was really helpful. So, mm. and ultimately, like, I'm not really, I'm not ashamed about that at all. Like, I'm not ashamed mm -hmm. about being depressed. I'm not ashamed about having anxiety. These are like chemical imbalances, like products of different life circumstances. So like, I, I might be ashamed of some of those life circumstances and the reason why I'm feeling some kind of anxiety or something, but I'm not really ashamed about the anxiety. I'm not ashamed about having depression or having ADHD, you know, like I'm not really ashamed of these things. They don't embarrass me. So that's why I think it's easy for me to talk about them publicly. My mother recently has told me she thinks I talk too publicly. about it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm too open about it. I'm like, mom, you just don't understand. I'm sorry. I love her to death. She just like, I think she's like worried for me, you know. Yeah. That's a different can of worms, but. Um... It is. <laughs> yeah. So one other thing I wanted to ask about specifically pertaining to living in, as you say, like one of the most expensive places, what kind of sacrifices did that require for you both in the beginning and kind of going into perpetuity? At the beginning, Sonia and I both sacrificed a lot of comfort. And it was always with this intention in mind that like things were going to be better. I'm still searching for that, <laughs> that whatever that is, things to get better. And as far as um, like after that and continuing on to now, I personally feel like when you are living a life that is not of the norm, uh, which I feel like my life is very not normal, you know, quote normal, whatever that means. I truly feel like you sacrifice a lot everything i feel like i've sacrificed everything at different times you know not all at the same time it doesn't happen like that mm -hmm. but you sacrifice your relationships with people you sacrifice your romantic relationships with a partner you sacrifice time you sacrifice uh, having time with your family you sacrifice sleep you sacrifice taking care of yourself and then you start sacrificing time to make art so you can take care of yourself it's like a constant back and forth of like 
how do you balance all of it? And mm -hmm. I think for some people it's easier, but for me, it is not <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly struggling against it. And like, it's hard for me to even say exact sacrifices because I feel like I was making a lot of sacrifices. And I don't mean for that to sound like I'm some like art martyr or something, you know, like, because it wasn't like that. I was just literally doing the thing that I thought I should be doing. So if I have to get 12 paintings done by this day, I'm going to get this done by this day. And if that means I'm only sleeping an hour and a half, that means I'm only sleeping an hour and a half, you know? So like those were the realistic kinds of sacrifices I was making. Yeah. And sacrificing a lot of my own health and well-being along the way. And for anybody listening, like this is not me saying that that's what it takes to be successful. I actually think that the sooner you can find a way to balance that and have less sacrifices and just know like where to draw the line of where those sacrifices are. I think the sooner you learn that, the better. It's taken me a long time and I'm still there. I'm still struggling with all of that too. Yeah. So one thing that has really struck me is in your podcast, you've talked before, I, I might be misremembering, but I think it was an episode with uh, Rick Kitagawa. You were talking about how like you make this sacrifice of like, you know, even when it comes down to like eating, you spring for like the $5 McDonald's dinner instead of going right. to the grocery store and getting like a $20 something that's actually like good for you and like feeds your soul, you know? And right. so it, it reminds me of that too, even, you know, like the I'm little sacrifices. That. I think about I think about that specific conversation when I'm at the grocery store, mm -hmm. you know, and like feeling good about being able to pay for the grapes this time or whatever, you know, and mm -hmm. um, and then other times feeling horrible because I'm like, how do I stretch this out? You know, these two meals, how do I stretch this out over three days? You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, and, I've been um, there. <laughs> yeah, it's man, it's like, I, I don't know. And I don't want to punish myself, but we end up doing that. And I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's like, I think a lot of people look at that as like a scarcity mentality, but I think it's a combination of a lot of different things, you know, like how you experienced your life while you were growing up and what you had and what you didn't have, what your parents had and what they didn't have and mm -hmm. like being frugal and, you know, at times splurging and then like completely regretting it later. So, you know, I think it's it's a lot of different things. And then when you're an artist, you're you're like, okay, I don't know when my next painting is going to sell. So I have, you know, $19 in my bank account until question mark. And within 13 days, I have to pay my rent. Mm -hmm. So like, you're like, okay, how can I make this $19 stretch out the most? So you end up not getting the $6.99 a pound seedless grapes, you know, you get rice and you get things that are like, you can make a lot of, and it'll fill you up a lot more, you know? So I don't know, like, it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm punishing myself in those moments. I'm actually just trying to survive, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm pretty tired of that mentality. I kind of still can't help it though, because I'm still in that position of like, being there and being, you know, not financially stable. And um, although I just got, I got two new jobs. Hey, good for you. You know, I still live this creative life. I still am making art up until recently. I'm still vending at these shows and, and trying to sell my art and stuff. But again, I'm like at this weird place with my artwork right now. So last year, 
I was also in a weird place and I was like, I was starting to get into the, like this, this place that I'm at now. And part of that progression was finding a job. So I got a job at this gallery that I've been working for since March of last year. And since then it's been kind of up and down because I talk about sacrifices. I had to sacrifice so much time in the studio to be able to work this job. And the idea was that I was going to get a job and it would help me pay for some of my bills. So then I wouldn't have as much pressure to uh, sell the artwork, but I'd still have time to do the artwork because it was only part time. Lo and behold, you get a part time job that sucks the life out of you. And then you do not have the energy to to do it this is why like you know nowadays it's like when i talk to people who are like yeah i'm just i'm doing art stuff but like you know i have this job that's really tough and i just don't have the energy when i come home and i've heard people and i i may also be guilty of this i'm not sure at this point but like i have heard people kind of shame other people into thinking they don't necessarily say this in these exact words but like maybe they're lesser of an artist because they're not dedicating their full attention and time and energy into just their art mm -hmm. and I think this is totally wrong because we have to live in the society we live in. We have to pay our bills and everything. And if it alleviates some of your pressure to not have to put so much into your art practice so you can continue even just doing it and mm -hmm. feeling good about it, I think that's fine. And ultimately, like me finding a different job or something like that is my attempt at doing that, at feeling better about my art. However, what actually happened because of that job was it was sucking a lot of my energy and I was just not making as much art as I wanted to because I was dedicating so much energy and time into this. And then that kind of like shifted. And then I realized I needed another job and I'm like, I think I need, I think I need a full-time job and I want to do that at least for a while and see, you know, cause I was, when I was in San Francisco, I was working a full-time job and working on my art career. And it was going like, honestly, pretty well for a while, you know, it felt. And so now I'm um, just started two new jobs. The first job that I started is at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. So I'm working as an art handler there. The first day I was out on the floor deinstalling an exhibit was the rosebud sled from Citizen Kane. Also deinstalling nunchucks that belong to Bruce Lee. All we I know. So all week I was like working with people from Pixar, DreamWorks, Universal. There's like we have a uh, you know Jack Skellington heads uh, that were from the film that were on screen. It's still like a certain kind of gratifying, I think, to my soul. And like I'm sure the longer I'm there, the more jaded I'll become and whatever. And I'll just be like, whatever, it's not a big deal. But like right now, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm walking around and I'm trying not to freak out among the other people who work there but right. uh, there were cool, times right? <laughs> definitely when i turned to the person i'm standing next to him like so do you think this is fucking crazy because it's pretty crazy like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so um i had a lot of those moments this week and so that's been pretty fun and um because i've gotten this other job and it's also technically part-time it's like i work for a week or i work for two weeks and then i'm off until they do another deinstall or install so because i've gotten that job this my other job 
has told me they're moving me to on call. So then in the meantime, I got a call from a nonprofit called the Immersive Art Collective. Um, they are a nonprofit that raises money for LGBTQ plus and underprivileged youth. And they do it through like horror-based theatrical programming and events. So of course, this is right up my alley. And the way I found them was right when I moved to LA, I saw an ad on Instagram and it was talking about the Immersive Art Collective and this art show that they were doing. And then I looked into it more and I saw what their mission is. And then I saw how they do it. And I'm just, I just contacted them right away. And I was like, I don't know who you guys are. I don't know where you came from, but I'm here. This is what I do. I need to like, you know, I need to be involved in some way. And so I did a, I volunteered to do a zombie making workshop for them last year, which is really fun. And um, they had some kids from like a local school. It was really cool. And in the meantime, I've been trying to figure out a way to integrate their group of performers. They have like these amazing actors and performers, and I've been trying to figure out how to integrate them into an event at the gallery that I was working at. Nothing ever panned out because it was it was hard to schedule things with this gallery. But in the meantime, I got to know the executive director very well. And she just called me and she said they got a grant and they're hiring me to do essentially to like manage some programming and some event bookings and other things. We'll see. I'm going to do some some marketing and some uh, video stuff for them. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, like I want to be working on something that I believe in. And like their mission is a really good one, you know, and it it all kind of fits in line with what I do anyway, you know, so I'm still like, these are, you know, technically a normal job, but they're still within the art field. And it's still things that I, I know I'm good at, you know, so as far as the art is concerned, I'm not sure where that's going, you know, and like I said, I'm in a weird place with it. And I have ideas but I kind of just want to see how it all sort of plays out. And I'm just kind of figuring it out little by little. You brought up my podcast, Drawing from Experience, before. Uh, we've been on a hiatus for the better portion of, of 2020, of the second half of 2020. And um, the reason why is because, you know, I was going through all my stuff with uh, mental health and feeling weird about my art and and then Stefania, my co-host, was going through her own stuff too. So we are slowly bringing it back. We've been talking about how to do it. Uh, I went out and visited her a couple weeks ago. We recorded an episode while I was out there. So it's like slowly coming back again. But like it's sort of hard for me to talk about art stuff and like feel good about giving other people advice and about my experiences if I'm sort of in a weird place with it, you know? So that's something I kind of realized, like I didn't feel great about, you know, giving people advice if I myself need some serious advice, you know? So um, yeah, so that's where I'm at currently. Really excited for you, first of all. These sound like such fantastic opportunities. And like when you were talking about the one with the Immersive Art Collective, you said? Correct. Yeah, with the Immersive Art Collective, I was like, this literally has your name written all over it. I know, right? Super cool. Wow. Yeah. And like, 
things that, I mean, yeah, it, it takes a big leap of faith to get yourself into a position where you can find these kinds of things because they're not just, you know, anywhere in the country. Right. I mean, you can't just grow up somewhere and like, oh yeah, sure. I'll just go down to the immersive art collective. It's just yeah. right down the street. Like, mm -hmm. sure. No problem. You know, and this requires us to really challenge ourselves and, and, you know, figure out, like you said, like trying to figure out who you were and, mm -hmm. and it just, it took that, it took putting yourself somewhere new and yeah. No, I think um, last question I really have for you is, um, do you have words of advice for creatives on the verge of making big decisions or taking a leap of faith for themselves? If I had advice, I'd be recording my podcast, too. <laughs> um, no no uh, kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have all kinds of advice for that. And differing advice on two ends of the spectrum. One, on one hand, I could say, go for it. Because what do you have what do you have to lose? You know, it's like if you don't go for it and you don't try, you're going to regret it later. You know, you're gonna be like, I really should have tried that. You know, if if something else isn't working out, you look back and you're like, I I have regret about not uh taking the leap of faith. On the other hand, the other side of it is assessing you know, where you, you're at in your life, the things you have that root you down into like um, having a stable life and deciding, you know, doing some kind of risk assessment of whether or not it's okay for you to do that. If you have a wife and, and five kids and you're just like tomorrow, you're like, I'm going to be a famous watercolor artist. You know, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but screw it. I'm just going to try, you know, and then in the meantime, your family's freezing and starving. They're going to say, what the hell, dude? And they're going to that the dude is going to say, well, Shane told me just to go for it, you know? <laughs> so like, that's not the advice I would give to that person. So this is why I feel like it's not there's no advice anybody can give you that's tailor made for everyone. So you have to really reflect on everything that's going on in your life. And if you can handle that, some people can't, you know, I came to a point where I started not being able to handle this, this past year. It was just like, I can't be living like this anymore. Like I'm, I've been doing this for too long. I'm so sick of being broke. And, you know, and this is like what everybody says. It's like, you have to, you have to go through it all. And you have to essentially like be in the art world for 10 to 15 years before you start seeing traction. Mm -hmm. And like my problem with that advice is that what do you do in the meantime? Ultimately, I just think that everybody needs to look at their own situation and and figure out what they can do and how much they can handle because it's not easy living the weird life, you know, living outside of the normal um you know, standards of, of society. So, uh, so the answer is, I have no answers for you. <laughs> well, I feel like that's a great answer though, too, because okay. it's, you know, like you say, there's, there's no one course on the yeah. path to being an artist. It, it does. It really does look different for everybody because everybody does different art. Everybody lives differently. Everybody has different needs. And so I feel like that's great advice to just look at who you are you know, really take a close look at yourself, what you need, how you feel you define success, and then putting that into motion, you know, and as you say, just, you know, trying not to get stressed out over it, trying not to, you know, and also trying not to look too closely at it or, or get like mm. overwhelmed by it and just make like a list and say, you know, I've just got to tick like 
a couple things off and then boom, there we go. So yeah. I feel like that's great advice. Cool. Good. Yeah. All right. I want to take a second to leave you with today's totally fucking normal takeaways. It is totally fucking normal to receive criticism on your creations, whether you're earlier in your career or whether you're somewhere in the middle of your career or even towards the end. Some people just don't get it. There's no art out there that's for everybody. Make what you love shamelessly. Your people are going to find you. And honestly, kindly fuck anyone that says that you should make art for anyone but yourself. It's totally fucking normal to feel like you're walking your creative path totally blind. And I know I've kind of danced around this one in other episodes, but it's something I always feel like I want to come back to. Um, as creatives, we experiment, we get frustrated or bored. We put something down for a while and try something new, maybe once or twice, maybe a thousand fucking times. However many times you do this, that's how many times you're adding new skills back into your repertoire that you can integrate with your overall vision or the trajectory that you're headed down. Never forget what a fucking compliment it is to be called a renaissance creative. It's totally fucking normal to experience failures without failing. Okay, things don't always go as we hope or expect that they might, but if you're still creating, then you have not failed. Even when you take a break or practice the art of the pivot and do something completely different, you have not failed. If failure is not an option for you, then you can never fail, even when it comes to a leap of faith or other big changes. Things just may look a little different than you expected. It's totally fucking normal to see your perspective on success and what that means change over time. It's totally fucking normal to struggle with managing which sacrifices you're making in pursuit of your dreams and or your deadlines. And it's also totally fucking normal to not be sure where it's all going. It's not easy to live outside of the, quote, normal standards of modern society as an artist, and there is absolutely not one right way to do it. However you're doing it is the right fucking way to do it. I am so proud of you for this podcast, and I'm so happy to see you blossoming as an artist and a creative and as a podcaster. You know, people probably don't know this, but Maggie and I met because of my podcast. And um, yeah, I, things happen for a reason. And um, uh, it's just kind of cool to see, you know, from afar where your life has led you and all these different things. And, um, and I'm really enjoying the podcast as well. I've listened to every episode so far. And uh, yeah, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. And I appreciate you. Oh, and also, Maggie sends me snail mail, handwritten, <laughs> handwritten snail mail all the time, just like having like a normal conversation. I have not written back yet <laughs> because i suck at it um that's but not a I'm requirement trying. that's okay i know but i should definitely send you something back because it's very it's very nice it it's a really nice like thing to receive you know uh actual mail from people handwritten mail is cool it makes you feel like connected to that person in a different way so thank you i appreciate you you touched my heart thank you so much shane oh. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, before we go, do you want to hit us with your social media plugs? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Shane Isaacowski Artist. You can also find my website, shaneisaacowski.com. I haven't posted anything on TikTok in forever. Uh, but yeah, you can find me there. You can go back and listen to previous episodes of my podcast, Drawing From Experience, on drawingfromexperience.com or your favorite 
podcast uh, platform. What uh, what else? Patreon. I don't know. Patreon. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See how out of practice I am. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Shane Isaacowski. Uh, it's what I call Shane's wholehearted humans. I am posting things on there, but very, very slowly. So if you are a part of my Patreon, thank you for being patient with me. Fantastic. Oh, I'm so glad to have been able to spend this time with you today. It's like a real treat. So yeah. Between now and next episode, you can find the podcast on Instagram at totally effing normal pod. You can find me on Instagram at mad mags. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash antagony imagery. You can find me on the web at antagonyimagery.com. And if you feel so inclined, you can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash totally effing normal. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. Let me know if you have any questions. Uh, Let me know if you've got something you want to hear about in a future episode. I'd love to hear it. You can find all of these links in the show notes uh, where you can just tap through super easy. So if you're like me, you don't have to worry about like, God, how do you spell that fucking thing? Don't worry about it. Head down to the show notes, click through on the links. Super easy. Anyway, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today to talk about anything, everything, and also nothing. And we'll catch you next time. (laughs) 